Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 50. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung round their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands going to hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Hi, I'm Morris. I'm one of the leaders at Christchurch. Thank you so much for tuning in to join our online service today. I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes. You may have children that you need to, uh, you know, stuff snacks towards or hand Lego to. And uh, you may not have a Bible open or have one on your phone. It would be great if you could follow along just because we're looking at quite a big bit of Mark's Gospel today. Um, so before we get properly started, let me just explain to you what we're doing um, in these talks from the Bible at the moment. Our series is called Recaptivated, and it is a series looking at Mark's Gospel, one of the biographies of Jesus' life. We think Jesus is the most enthralling, captivating person who's ever lived. And so we, as Christians, are hoping to be recaptivated as we look at Mark's Gospel again. And we're hoping that if you're watching today and you aren't a Christian or you aren't sure about it, that the radical, amazing things Jesus says and does will draw you into seeing how great he is too. So I hope that's what will happen. I hope you've had a chance to find a Bible, settle your children, go to the loo. And let's jump straight in here to Mark chapter 9. 
Now, if you're of a certain age, by which I mean middle age, like me, you'll have had to read at school a novel called Lord of the Flies, probably, for GCSE English. It's the story of a group of uh, posh um, public school kids who get uh, stranded on a desert island together, and the society that they come up with is this terrible survival of the fittest society in which people are bullied and one of them dies and the whole book ends with him saying our innocence is gone and it was seen as the time uh, by the author and um, seen as the author saying this is people are bad and this is the type of society they come up with if you just put them on a desert island and let them do what they like. Well I was reading in the paper this week an article called The Real Lord of the Flies and it's about a group of boys in history, teenage boys, who did get stranded on a desert island in the 1950s for 15 months. And the author uh, who was writing about this, Rutger Brinkman, was saying they didn't all kill each other. But they set up a society where mutual care uh, and serving each other and looking out for the weakest people was really honoured. Thus says the writer, actually, the writer of Lord of the Flies is wrong. Uh, we're actually naturally kind and good and we look out for others when we're left to our own devices. Well, I'm not sure about that. Um, there are lots of people in the world, I'm not sure that's been their experience. But aside from that, I think it leads us to a deeper question. Why is it that we think that helping others, that giving up what you have for the sake of others, why when that's so hard, do we think it's so morally good? Why is that a best type of society? We live in a culture at the moment where we head out every Thursday evening and we clap for carers. We see that serving is to be praised and honoured. That was not true in the ancient world, the Roman world that Jesus was speaking in. In that world, power was to be praised. Enslaving others was seen as a sign of victory, not serving others. There's something, or someone, embedded so deeply in our thinking to make us think service is good that even this atheist secular man, Rutger Bregman, the writer, didn't question it was there. He just said, this type of society is good. Now, we are a Christian church. That means we believe in Jesus and we believe that Jesus is better than anyone. Our view and what we think the Bible tells us is that Jesus is the only human being who's ever lived who should be worshipped. And yet here, in this passage we had today in chapter 9, in verse 31, he says he's deliberately going to die. And he opens up for us in Mark's Gospel that that's for the sake of others. He says the Son of Man, which is a title for the most honoured human being ever, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. And we think that's the person who should be worshipped. Similarly, if you become a Christian, what you are saying about yourself is this, that all the things about me that I think make me good, that I'm proud of, they can't make me right with God. I have to trust in the great act of service of Jesus dying for me. And where there's conflict in the world, or even between Christians, that's because we don't really live out these things. We are saying, I am important, I should be worshipped. You should respect and honour me. Jesus isn't the one who should be worshipped, it's me. But we, we know, the Bible tells us, that the only person who is to be worshipped is Jesus. And he served.
and that when you trust him, you admit there's nothing brilliant about you that means others should serve you. And in this section of Jesus' life, his closest followers are very slowly learning that lesson. This part of the book of Mark has shown us God confirming from heaven that Jesus is his son and then saying, listen to him. And so Jesus takes his disciples into a place where they wouldn't be interrupted and he starts teaching them. But in this place, not interrupted, having been told to listen, the thing he chooses to talk about is his death. That is a very interesting set of priorities. Jesus is aiming his whole life and ministry towards his death. The defining thing about him is this act of service towards the whole of humanity as he gives his life to take on himself the wrong things that we've done. But the disciples did not, Mark says, understand, which is a huge understatement. They had not begun to clock the implications of this. We're going to see three of their misunderstandings in this passage today. Here's the first misunderstanding one. I am better than everyone. As they're walking along, and Jesus has been teaching them that he, the great Lord of glory, the eternal Son of God, with whom God is pleased, is going to go to his death for the sake of other people. The disciples embark on a discussion about which one of them is the greatest. I mean, you could not make it up, could you? <laughs> They've had this amazing experience of seeing Jesus' glory revealed and Peter saying, oh, we should stay here and worship Jesus forever. And then a short time later, when that glorious son of God explains he's going to die to serve others, they have a discussion about which one of them is the greatest. I mean, please, get with the programme, disciples. And I love the way Mark says, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve. I can just imagine that country, Jesus being like, oh, okay, sit down, come round everyone, let's go through this again. And this is what Jesus says, you want to be first, you want to be the greatest. The thing that will make you genuinely first, that is, the thing that will mark you out as greatest in the way that matters, is that you make yourself the very last and the servant of all. Consider Jesus is very sweeping here. The very last and the servant of everyone. If you want to be great first in the way that it matters to God. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because Jesus is the only one we worship and that is what he did, served everyone. But it's noting it's worth noting, Jesus is rewriting morality here. That is not what they thought greatness was. And it's only 2,000 years of the influence of Jesus that we've begun to accept that service should be applauded. While that's true, in my own life, I really only want a watered-down version of this. We begin to hedge it, say, oh yes, service is good, but obviously Jesus doesn't want me to be a doormat. Obviously, Jesus doesn't want to make me unhappy by saying I should serve other people. Doesn't he? In order to serve the very people who spat at him and abused him and nailed him to a cross, in order to serve them, Jesus gave up his life. His glory is the eternal Son of God. 
his everlasting relationship of love with the Father. He gave that up to a humble life and a cruel death. So yes, folks, he really does mean making ourselves the very last and the servant of all. To illustrate what type of service he's talking about, Jesus quite literally picks up and hugs a child. Now at the time, children were seen as insignificant and unimportant. But Jesus says, whoever welcomes this seemingly insignificant, unimportant person in my name, they're welcoming me. And that means they're welcoming God my Father. <laughs> well, that raises the stakes, doesn't it? This serving thing is not optional. Jesus says, it's the way I'll know what you think of me and therefore what you think of God is how much you serve people like this, how much you make yourself a servant even to those who seem insignificant and unimportant and who can't do anything for you. Serving others radically, that is making yourself the lowest of all, giving all that you have to welcome those who seem totally insignificant, that's not optional in the Christian life. It's not sort of A-level or degree-level Christianity. Jesus says it is the way to measure your attitude to him and to God his Father. Of course, that shouldn't be surprising because that is what Jesus did, give everything up so we could be welcomed and he's the one we worship. And of course, I learned when I became a Christian, I'm not better than anyone. I needed God's rescue as much as anybody nearby me. Someone who's no longer self-important would get what Jesus was saying here, wouldn't we? Being first is about serving, not being served. But I still think we think of it the other way around. We think the best life would be one where I am served rather than serving. It's how many people treat the church. They think, well, I come along as long as I get what I want for me and not bother if I don't. That's particularly challenging at this time where it really involves you having to step into an uncomfortable place that wouldn't be your choice to love people in the church family because we can't just all gather together. No, I've got more other important things to do for myself. Shows you think, doesn't it, that greatness is being served. So why many people treat friendships. Oh, that person didn't treat me the way that I wanted to, them to. They didn't serve me in a way that's acceptable to me. So I'm not going to be their friend. Jesus says, no, you, you welcome. Your act of service is welcoming people who can't give you anything back. Is it a mark of our lives that we seek out people who make us uncomfortable? Is it a mark that we seek out people who are unpopular and excluded and welcome them in? Jesus' visual model of what it is to live as a Christian is hugging a person who seems insignificant, who has nothing to offer him, and he welcomes him wholeheartedly. Now, just to be clear, we cannot and must not physically embrace at the moment. A cabinet minister this week has told us hugging off the agenda for a while. But it is just a picture of relationally loving people who can't do anything for me. It doesn't make sense to worship Jesus, but push people out of your life who 
don't give you much. It doesn't make sense to admire service, clap the carers, but not have that person in your life you find really annoying. Of course, that makes sense if you're a Christian because we worship the person who did that. And we learned when we trusted him that we are not all that important. If someone has hurt you, we, we don't base our treatment of them and how they've treated us. That would be, they're my servant, they exist to give me what I want. No, we continue to serve them because we Christians worship the person like that. This even actually kicks in, I think, to whether or how we share our faith or not. I think some people think, I can't risk this, this relationship by sharing my faith. What they mean is, I enjoy having this person's respect. It is a way that they serve me. And the call of the gospel is to say, I might lose their respect, but they hear about Jesus. That's me serving them. And here in this odd moment, where we are missing church, where there are difficult decisions ahead about what the church does and doesn't do, it will be difficult if the things you would most like don't happen. But the call is to say, serving others first means the things that you would most like aren't part of what we do in this strange time, but they are better for others, for reaching people. And that should be fine, because that's exactly the character of the one we worship. Maybe you think, I just don't do it. I don't want to do it. I want to put myself first. And can I say that would be totally crazy if you're a Christian, because that would be saying, I'm more important than Jesus. And I can't believe you think that. Here's the second misunderstanding. The first misunderstanding was I'm better than everyone. The second misunderstanding is at least I'm better than other Christians. John discovers some people casting out demons in Jesus' name. You might think that would bring him great joy. Hooray, other people following Jesus apart from us. The mission is succeeding. But no, he said, I stopped them doing it, Jesus, because they weren't one of us. Well, Jesus stops John in his tracks. Jesus throws the door as wide as he possibly could for people to come and follow him. He says, anyone who is not against us is for us. And you should be glad, even if someone is giving out cups of water, doing something very small and insignificant looking for Jesus. That should make you rejoice. See what Jesus is saying. John, there's no inner circle in my kingdom. There's no hierarchy based on who has known me the longest or has hung out with me the most. It's interesting, John is known in the Bible as being Jesus' closest friend, but he is getting rebuked and saying, that doesn't mean you get to exclude other people and say they're less than you. No, whoever is not against us is for us. Jesus' death is the only great leveller, actually. If I'm a Christian today, it's because of Jesus' death for me. And if you're a Christian today, it's because of Jesus' death for you. The amazing truth of the gospel is this, that through Jesus' death, I and you can be once for all totally, utterly accepted by God as qualified to serve him as it's possible to be. But that's also true about everyone else who trusts Jesus. 
So please don't build a way of living or thinking or acting towards other Christians that's based on the idea that they might be more worthy than you or you might be more worthy than them. Your background or your experience or your abilities to do things, they don't qualify you more. And you don't need to be worrying about those things in Jesus' family because nothing can threaten your perfect standing that you get through Jesus' death. You know, my arguments with other Christians are often because I'm like, they haven't respected me. They make me look bad. They're not appreciating the wonderful things that I do. Jesus says to me when I'm behaving like that, listen, you're already accepted. You're already loved. You're already safe. It really does not matter. People do not have that power over you to dictate your value anymore. And there is a wonderful security and freedom there that allows you to begin to even appreciate the smallest good act that someone else does for Jesus. Because it's not about worth, it's about us together being secure before God. An example I might give of this, if we were gathering together, I might say to you, listen, someone may not have welcomed you today the way that you would have liked. Doesn't matter to you. We will train people to welcome better, but it doesn't matter, it doesn't say anything about you. Why not just be grateful for the person who offered you a cup of tea? Because even a cup of tea offered in Jesus' name won't be overlooked. You can do that if you're secure in being accepted through Jesus' death. You know, I have um, had some eye-opening moments in this time of lockdown where I have felt annoyed because I don't feel like I'm being treated right. But all that is is saying to the poor people locked down with me, hey everyone, you serve me. You make me feel good. And if you don't, I'm going to be very annoyed. And the eye-opening moment has helped me turn to look at Jesus and his death and say, I can be free from all of that. Free to be loved and free to actually give and serve, not try and use other people as pawns in my self-esteem game. And Jesus actually moves on to talk to John about these little ones, these normal Christians, these Christians who might not be a sort of in, seemingly in the inner circle as you. These people you want to use, John, to promote yourselves by excluding. People turns to, Jesus turns to talk about them and says, listen, John, they might not have had your amazing mountaintop experience, but they are children who belong to me. And so don't you dare do anything that puts them off following me. That's the third misunderstanding. People think it's just about me and God anyway. You know, what does it matter whether I serve others? Because I'm right with God through Jesus. No, Jesus says, if anyone causes any one of these little ones, these normal Christians, to stumble, if anyone gives them the impression that they can't quite cut it to be in Jesus' family, and hence risks them giving up, well, it would be better for that person to put on a concrete wetsuit and jump into the sea. Rejecting this model of service, this serving way of living that we worship Jesus for, that is not just a private spiritual issue. 
Because if you think of yourself too highly, that will come out in the way that you treat others, and it could ruin their trust in Jesus. In fact, Jesus says, don't even risk it. God takes it seriously. So if there's something in your life that is causing you to look down on other Christians, you're probably damaging other Christians, and so you'd better give it up. Cut it off. He used three different examples, three times, to get it across. If there's something about you that you're treasuring, that you know makes you think you're grander or greater or better, no matter how precious it is to you, it'd be better for you to lose it than continue in your pride. And we know that, don't we? Whatever the novel Lord of the Flies is about, it's saying to us, people who put themselves first hurt other people. And Jesus says, not in my family. In this family where all of us are brought together because we admitted we were wrong and we're put right because of Jesus, you cannot behave that way. Christians should not be sort of snooty. Think they're better because of their background or something they've learned or a book that they've read. Because people, little ones, weak Christians are caused to stumble by that. And that is terrible. Sadly, the um, the church history is littered with the metaphorical corpses of Christians who looked at other Christians surrounding them and were made to feel like I couldn't get live up to that. So maybe it's not for me. And Jesus says, if there's something in your life that is making you be that way, get rid of it. And he really raises the stakes because this is where he starts talking about hell, a topic none of us want to talk about. He says, if you'd be better cutting off this thing that makes you self-righteous than you would be going to hell in the end, which is what will happen. It sounds harsh, but of course it must be true. If we are using other people as a means to justify and promote ourselves, to show our own goodness by comparing or competing with them, that does show, doesn't it, we are not trusting Jesus to be made right. If we are thinking, well, I must be okay because I'm better than that person, you're definitely not thinking, I must be okay because Jesus has put me right with God. And that will come out if you're thinking that way. It will hurt people if you think there is a rightness with God not based on Jesus' death. Either we're justified by Jesus and we're right before God, or we're justified, made better by what we do. And if it's this second one, there'd be every reason to compare and push other people out and show who's the best. But that second one isn't true. The amazing thing, the brilliant thing about the gospel, the message of Jesus, is that he does everything to put us right with God. But if you're still doing this one, you can't be doing that one. And that does mean you could be heading for hell. So chop out anything that makes you think that way. But there's good news too. Because with nothing to prove, and no pressure to show that I'm important, and no reason to care whether other people are better or worse than me, if that's true, 
I'm really just free to serve, to love. All the things that stop me authentically loving, they're gone. Because I have nothing to prove anymore. And you have nothing to prove to me. We can have a truly open and other person-centered relationship. It's not about promoting myself to you or you trying to show you're worthy to me. It's about connecting. I actually can give up everything to serve all because I've been given everything I need for free. All the reasons I have for putting myself first are taken away by Jesus' death for me. Amazing. There's this strange bit at the end of the passage, though, this odd phrase that people will be salted by fire. It says that in verse 49. He says, if salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? I think that's what he's saying here is this. If we lose our Christian distinctiveness, so our Christian distinctiveness is that we worship the one who served and we don't think we're all that. If we lose that, we will not do a very good job of pointing other people to Jesus, will we? No, if you are someone who's really easily offended or who never serves other people, who always thinks of yourself, of course, the people close to you are not going to take it seriously. When you talk about Jesus' great act of service, they're probably not much interested in that, I guess. So we're no good if we lose our distinctiveness in that way. And we are salted by fire. I think what he's saying there is that our saltiness, our distinctiveness, is brought about by going through tough times. Probably times like these. That could be a way God uses these times in our lives when we can't really do the things we want. Maybe God's teaching us that life isn't about getting what we want. I read a newspaper article this week in The Independent basically saying all the educational slogans that have been very popular for years, you know, you be you, you can be whatever you want to be, you just be yourself, they're useless for a crisis. <laughs> A crisis depends on people leaving those things behind and saying, I won't be me, I'll serve others. If you're not a Christian, it's not my job to you to suggest lessons you could be learning from this time. But if you are, could it be the removal of the things we like doing could be salting us with fire? The pressure cooker of family life could be reminding you the discipline of serving. The sitting at home feeling lonely could be a call to you to stop thinking about yourself. And we should aim to be that way, not because it justifies us before God, but because we worship the only human being who was truly like that. Back to Rutger Bregman and his story of the real Lord of the Flies where they all helped each other. I discovered when I was looking into him that while he's an atheist, he grew up in the home his dad was a Lutheran pastor. And what about the boys on the island? Well, as you look into that story, it turns out they were escaping from a very strict Christian school on Tonga, one of the most Christianised countries of the world, and they kept all the time they were in the island a Bible reading and a prayer and a hymn every day. Maybe it's not that we're kind by nature, but that something or someone has taught us it's good to serve.
I can't prove anything about why people do what they do, but I will say this. If you think self-sacrificing love is beautiful, you're already halfway signed up to Jesus. And it's him you need to think about. And if you think self-sacrificing love is beautiful, but you know that you don't do it, what you need to do is accept Jesus' great act of service for you. Taking away the wrong things that you've done by his death. The Son of Man, the glorious one Jesus, he didn't come for you to serve him. He came to serve you. Why don't you let him? Let's pray. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that Jesus, the one we worship, made himself lower than all of us. The beauty of that is just amazing. We thank you for the way he has embedded that in our culture and we live in the good of that now. But we most of all thank you that his great act of service was to take away our sin so we could be right with you. And we pray for your help to accept that and for that great act of service to influence every part of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.